Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 194. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, joined by my co-host, John White, at BJourneyman. Hey John, how's it going? I am doing great, Nick. Just want to remind our listeners that we are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be subscribing. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, John. I'd like to take a second to make sure listeners remember that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is now live. We're showing our work. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. Go do some searches and tell us if you find what you've been searching for. We'd love feedback. Last week in episode 193... We shared part one of a discussion with Neil Thompson of Teach the Geek. We talked about how Neil started as an engineer in the biomedical field and became an engineer because his father told him to. We talked about Neil's communication challenges and how that led to the birth of a business. And he was a part of a generalist community that confirmed the need for further specialty. Toastmasters. You'll have to go back and listen if you want to hear more. What's on tap for part two, John? I think a really interesting thing to listen for would be the idea of outsourcing as an entrepreneur. When you're an entrepreneur, you can't do all the jobs that a business needs. So you look for people to outsource some of those tasks to. That's exactly what Neil did. And it's interesting to hear his journey with that experience. The other things that I would maybe listen to would be tips for the content creator. We specifically asked him for tips. And then another thing would be the writing that he did across different domains. Very interesting. I asked if this was something that he specifically found that his skill base that he practiced was helpful for. So to hear him answer that question, stay tuned for episode number 194, part two of our discussion with Neil Thompson. Getting into this business where you're doing content development, where you're doing writing online, how did that compare to the skills that you had before? Were they the same skills that you just needed to like kind of slightly have a slightly different product, uh, project management and product management, you know, discipline where you're like, well, now the product is this and it's not the patent projects or the biomedical research now it's this communication like once somebody pointed that out to you were you able to just kind of shift gears and go oh okay i have all these skills already and now i'm just going to you know fine-tune them or redirect them towards this this other thing or was that a process and you know were those skills not necessarily crossing over i think they it wasn't too long actually after i that my friend noted that I needed to use a process that I just fell back on the processes that I had to use back when I worked as an engineer. Although I will say that one of the issues that I had 
was figuring out what to outsource and and what to what to keep in house. I mean, I mentioned that I wasn't I didn't have any background in sales and marketing, so I outsourced that. And looking back on it, perhaps it wasn't the right decision, or at least I didn't pick the right person to do it. And I probably should have given more thought into the the type of person that I wanted to to help me with that type of work. And that's certainly something that I do now. I'm a lot more careful or selective, I should say, on the people that I work with. I really want them to have some sort of background, at least with the target audience that I'm trying to reach. Because just because you've had success doing Instagram ads to sell a beauty product doesn't mean you're going to have success selling a course or a membership geared towards engineers on Instagram. <laughs> I post on Instagram maybe once a week. I'll post about my my podcast interviews. And even that, I'm not even too sure is doing all that much. I just do it con- just, to, just to do it, really. Yeah. You know, so I, I work at Google, right? And so, you know, the, the Google thing would be to, to measure it. But I, I'm not even sure how you would do that. I guess you measure, like, all the hits that come in and see how many of them originate from Instagram. Or you create, like, an, a campaign where, like, the, the links that you give out on Instagram come to a specific, like, you know, place or landing page. Track the number of emojis that are selected on your post, right? That's just an Instagram slam there, Nick. And we in this community do not tolerate okay yeah it's about the metrics john funny (laughs) (laughs) of the two of us nick is the one who watches our our metrics the most i i'm a little bit more freewheeling but um yeah i i I can totally understand and you almost have to give yourself a break right you have to give yourself permission to like make those mistakes when you don't have any experience in it and then get better at it just over time but you know when you're you know, just entering that entrepreneurial realm, it's not like you have infinite amounts of money to like make mistakes on, you know, ah, I, I know that like, you know, the first five people that I'm going to hire for sales and marketing are going to be mistakes like that, that nobody goes into the business thinking that, right? So it's rough, but maybe what you needed was a community of entrepreneurs that you could have joined, you know, just like you are presenting like a community of people interested in, uh, you know, communication in the you know, technical focus. That's exactly what I needed at the time. And if I had had that, I likely wouldn't have signed a contract for 18 months with the sales and marketing person. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Uh. I like what you said, though, about learning what you can subcontract because it really makes you think about what your strengths and weaknesses are. And I think that's a lesson that could apply to anyone in, in any job, like, We had a guest, and it escapes me now, John. Someone was talking about thinking about your strengths and weaknesses, and if you have something that just sucks the energy out of your day, is there someone else on your team that could take that task on that loves doing it, that it breathes energy into them, almost almost like a subcontract in a way, because it's it's not your strength, not your thing? That's what I thought of. I'll have to go back and find that episode. Well, when you were talking, you reminded me of a podcast that I listened to maybe a couple of months ago. The guest was a, well, she is a coach, but she was talking about an experience she had when she was still an employee. She went to her boss and said that there are certain parts, I think she said two thirds of my job I really like, and then there's a third that I don't like so much. With that one third that I don't like so much, can we find other people in the company? Essentially, can we find other people in the company that be that would be willing 
to do that one-third of my job. And I just remember thinking to myself, well, you better hope those people like that one-third because if not, then they're going to be doing a third of, your, of the job that you don't like and they don't like in addition to their job. So they're probably not going to be all that happy about it. <laughs> yeah, you would hope that yeah. other people get that same deal where they can offload things they don't like. And I know you can only do that so much for a certain amount of people, but yeah, you don't want yourself to be susceptible to, oh, this person's only doing two thirds of their responsibilities, so we're going to pay them two thirds of their salary. <laughs> but then it also goes back to, I guess, the question, should you enjoy all aspects of your job? Is that, is that a reasonable expectation to have? Right. It's important to figure out heading into the job what the overall job responsibilities are and whether you are a person who would find doing those responsibilities like something that sucks the energy out of you, right? If it's, if it's something like, ah, I don't like doing it, but I can do it, or, you know, that's one thing. But if it's like, oh, the, the process of like facing, you know, writing another TPS report makes me want to like, you know, stand up and walk away from the computer and take a, like a three hour, like, you know, siesta, then you should evaluate whether that's the right job for you <laughs> or the right role in, in the organization. You know, I, I think we've, we kind of figured that out about management actually, right, Nick? Like people thought that they were getting into management to be like, kind of like the, the super level, like tech lead, but then they found out like, oh no, management is doing, you know, very little technical stuff, all kinds of like performance management and like, you know, resource allocation and, and stuff like that. And, you know, very little of the technical stuff. Yeah. It's a different job. Don Jones. Different job. Yeah. I was just having a conversation with somebody. It might have been just yesterday. And she was saying that a lot of companies don't have the best career development for people who want to stay technical. It's either you are a technical individual contributor or you're a manager. And those two are completely different. If you top out in the individual contributor role and the only way to go up is to become a manager then you run into like what is the Pareto principle where you get promoted just to the point where you're incompetent and then, and then you don't move up anymore so you get promoted to the point of incompetence it's it's a real thing right like we've talked about that exact thing you know here where we say you know you need to figure out if that's what you want to do like management means hiring and firing and performance reviews and and you know resource allocation and you know dealing with other managers and fighting political battles and if that's not what you want to do then you need to find an organization that has a you know engineer senior engineer super senior engineer super duper senior engineer principal distinguished principal distinguished scholar you know like uh, the entire like kind of chain where you can get promoted along that line um, without becoming a manager and you probably will have to take on leadership responsibilities and maybe you might even need to lead teams of people but you might not need to hire them and fire them and do performance reviews and do budget reviews for that team when i think of being a manager i knew that that was never something i would want to do just for the performance reviews alone just <laughs> thinking of have to sit across from somebody and, and give them a, a score of what the things they can improve on, what they did well. I mean, that would mean that I'd have to have been paying attention the entire time. It's just, it's just, it's just, I don't have the greatest attention span. So maybe I'm not management material. <laughs> Do you have multiple employees under you as part of your business or is it just you? It's just me. 
but I, I outsource quite a bit to, to other people. So I, I use a, a virtual assistant company to do a lot of the research that I don't want to do. So for instance, oh, I guess I didn't mention this, but I have a children's book. And every now and then I will get the inclination that I need to promote it more. <laughs> I wrote it four years ago. And every year I tell myself, I'm going to do more to promote this book. So I actually use the virtual assistant company to find podcasts for me to talk about the book on because I don't want to have to do all the research to, to find these podcasts, to find the contact information. And it's just a lot of time. And so they, they do it for me. They find the podcast, they get me the, the information, and then I can contact the, the podcast directly. That's a different style of writing, writing a children's book as opposed to the writing that you were doing Certainly in regard to patents and in regard to the biomedical engineering, what's it like to shift your focus in that way in the in the topic and audience that you're writing for? Oh, I love writing the children's book because it's simple and I'm a simple person. So it's, it's really it's really easy for me to write the books. I mean, the, the book is geared towards kids up to eight years old and Coming up with the story that I thought was interesting and, and was funny and just would keep a kid's attention, that was that was a whole lot of fun. Way more fun than writing a patent application. Those those are quite dry. <laughs> and then even the reports that you, and protocols that I had to write when I was an engineer, those were dry too. You're funny. I'm starting to see a pattern here, Neil, and, and that is like taking some of the skills that you have and you know, crossing a domain, right? Not just staying, you know, where you were, but but doing, you know, applying you know, writing skill or that kind of like skill to, to start something new. That's, that's interesting. Is that something that you've noticed in yourself or am I making that up? Oh no, it, it's definitely true. It wasn't true when I first started. I thought I was just going to be an engineer until I wasn't an engineer anymore or I retired. But as I got older, I just, I developed all these different interests and I didn't see any reason why I couldn't chase any of them, especially once I stopped working for companies and had all the time to really figure out what I wanted to do. And I had the flexibility of figuring out what I wanted to do. I didn't have to write those protocols and reports anymore because I was working at a company who said, write the protocols and reports. I can write what I want now. And that's where the idea for the children's book came from. And I think that's also why that guest that I mentioned, Christine Vartanian, our conversation resonated so much with me because she didn't see herself being stuck in a box either. I mean, she was a civil engineer and now she's a personal stylist. I'm sure there are a number of people in her life and maybe people that she don't that she doesn't know who may hear her story and think, why would you go from why would you go from being a civil engineer to a personal stylist? You don't need a civil engineering degree to be a personal stylist. I'm not sure you need any degree to be a personal stylist. But ultimately it's your life and you live it the way you want to live it. And I really respect people like her who are willing to do that regardless of what of what other people might think of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it strikes me, you know, at a certain level, you're it's a task that you need to outsource, right? Is like my clothes say something about me when I walk into a boardroom or, you know, at some kind of executive level and I don't know what message I'm sending. You know, maybe I maybe there's some kind of, you know, cultural thing, you know, that, you know, there's a message I'm sending by wearing plaid plaid tie or a jacket with you know elbow pads that you know screams like professor instead of executive right and i i need somebody with that knowledge you know who covers my domain 
you know, who comes from a technical background and has an image and styling background to be able to say, oh, you know, when you're talking to these audiences, you need to dress this way in order to project the role that you feel like you need to be projecting. And it absolutely makes sense that that is a job. Just how you're teaching people to communicate, you know, who are, are in a technical domain, like there needs to be somebody who teaches people how to dress based on like image consulting processes, like based on technical domains. Absolutely love that. You know, when you were talking, it reminded me of my sister. She, she works in HR and she hires speakers every now and then at her company, at least at her former company. And she said that at one time she, they had a speaker whose shirt wasn't ironed. And she didn't listen to the guy's presentation because all she could focus on is the fact that his shirt was rumpled. <laughs> so it made me think, man, she, that, that guy probably could have used that image consultant. <laughs> Absolutely. Did, did you want to share what your book is about, Neil? Because it's actually helping promote diversity in science, technology, engineering, and mathematical disciplines. Uh, feel free if you'd like to. Sure. It's called Ask Uncle Neil Why Is My Hair Curly? It's about my nephew asking me why his hair is the way it is, and I use science to answer the question. Now, I mentioned earlier that I studied engineering because my father said I should. I grew up in a pretty strict home. I did what I was told to do. It's when I've become older that I realized that the importance of curiosity, because curiosity can take you in a lot of places. And it's certainly something that I use now. That's why I wrote a children's book. That's why I started Teach the Geek. That's why I became a patent agent. I mean, a whole bunch of different things that I do is just based on what would happen if I did this? Let me follow, let me follow this through and see what happens. I want to instill that in kids. So I don't want them to grow up thinking this is what I have to do because I was told to do it. I want them to know that their curiosity can lead them to many different places. And very often the question askers of today are going to be the problem solvers of tomorrow. So you definitely want kids to, you want that curiosity to be fostered in them by their parents, by the people around them, just by society in general. You don't want them to be these robots that are just doing as they're told. I like that. That's great. I mean, anybody maybe who's in a technical field who wants to uh, inspire, you know, nieces and nephews and sons and daughters and anybody, the youth of tomorrow, like that's that's where we need the STEM practitioners of tomorrow come from the youth of today, right? <laughs> yeah. And when I became an engineer, I realized that engineers are problem solvers. That's what I often hear when, when people talk about engineers. It's, pro it's all about problem solving. So it's rather, it's rather ironic that I became an engineer in the first place because I was told to. It, was, it wasn't because I was looking to solve any kind of problem or it wasn't because of any curiosity that I had. It wasn't because of any question that I was asking myself or asking others or just asking the world in general. It was because I, it was something that I was told to do. And it's just, it's something that I wish more adults would, would foster within their children because at least so many, so many parents, it's do it because I said so. There's no, there's no explanation as to why to do something. And that doesn't help when you become an adult, by the way, unless you, perhaps you're in the military. But if, but other than that, if you're just a regular person just working a regular job, you're going to want to know why you have to do this process. You're going to, you want, you, why didn't I get the raise? You know, why Why didn't I get the promotion? And that, Because I said so? That's not going to fly. But apparently it's supposed to fly when you're 8. But it, it won't fly when you're 28. But And we're, we're training kids to become adults at some point. So why would we 
train them in something that they're not going to be using once they become adults. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that curiosity helps us discover what our options really are, I think. Because one of the things that we have found uh, getting into sales engineering is that there are many, many technical career paths that we never would have thought of considering as options when we were working as IT folks for different companies. I just, I didn't know what technical marketing was or developer relations or that you could be a a public speaker <laughs> full time, you know, and, and pivot over from having a totally different background. I just, I guess you just, again, it comes back to naivety and you don't know until you get exposed to it. So I'm happy that all of us on the show here are, are exposing other people, young and old, to what they could do and showing them examples of people who have done it. Even more foundational, like we've interviewed, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and 60 people for this podcast, you know, and put out 200-something episodes. The number of times somebody has said, I grew up wanting to understand how things work, and I took them apart, and I kind of lost my fear of breaking things because breaking them wasn't so bad you know especially when you're a kid like if you're if you're curious and you're trying to take something apart understand how it works and see if you can put it back together like that's like a a lifelong skill right and it's something that people will pay a lot of money for later on so this idea neil like that you pointed out that we like try to stamp that out it's almost like saying like hey hey don't try to learn too much what is that? You know, it's just, it's more of like an annoyance thing as a parent, probably, right? Than uh, being overloaded. I have a six month old, so like I feel overloaded all the time. I don't want her to touch the hot thing and I don't want her to cut her hand, but you know, there's ways that you treat like a, a one or two year old that are different from a four year old, different from an eight year old, different from a 12 year old, right? Um, so you have to like kind of progressively start, you know, explaining why and not just giving like a, a rule. Yeah, I fully agree. It's It would be very difficult to tell somebody when they're a little kid that curiosity isn't something to be, it's not, it's not, pro, it's improper even to, to foster that, that curiosity. But then when they become an adult, you ask them to be a, an innovator, like based on what? Right, right. Well, it takes effort for other people to feed someone's curiosity. They have to be willing to answer the questions. And if we're not willing to answer kids' questions, or at least try, instead of saying, well, I don't know, or you don't need to worry about it, there comes a time where you, you should probably try to answer the question for them. Or you're just annoying me. Why is the sky blue? Exactly. Well, it doesn't matter what I say right now, but when I the message I'm going to give you is that I'm annoyed that you're asking me questions and that you are curious about the world. So don't don't be curious about the world. Right. That's what my tone of voice is about to tell you, which is not ultimately what we really want as adults for the next generation of innovators, hopefully. Right. And even now, it's it's so much easier to get answers to these type of questions. We have Google. There was no Google when I was a kid. It was go to look in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. Yep. And that thing was expensive and really tough to use. Like the they didn't do really good like UI UX testing. For the Encyclopedia Britannica is my my critique. World Book, like, you know, beat them by leaps and bounds. I want to ask you, you know, as a, like a, a content producer, that's 
roughly translates to something that we do now, right? How is it that you come up with new ideas with, you know, new curriculum planning or, you know, you feel like, oh, maybe I need to refresh, you know, this course um, and, and add some stuff and, you know, maybe subtract some other stuff. What does that process look like for you? Is it extremely like, you know, process-based, you know, that you kind of hinted at that a little bit earlier, or is it a little bit more freeform? Do you like get feedback from people saying, hey, you know, I love your course and it would be great if you had a little bit more of this. So then you, you add that in as like, you know, like a, a follow on track or something like that. What, what does that process look like? Definitely more free form, at least at the moment. Perhaps it should become a process at some point, but at least for now, it's, it's me just taking in feedback from others. When I first started the podcast, well, I didn't start the podcast first. I started the YouTube channel first. And it was actually one of my guests who suggested that I start a podcast too. Because he said that people often would listen to these type of interviews while driving. And obviously you can't watch a video while you're driving. So eventually I did start the podcast maybe a year after I started the YouTube channel. So essentially the podcast is just an audio version of the YouTube channel. The interviews that I do. I, I do them on Zoom. You know, it's all video. I've slapped those up on the YouTube channel. And then I, I, sw I get the audio from those videos. And I make them podcast episodes. So a lot of the, the changes that I've made, it's, it's really been from the feedback from others. That's a really good place to get innovation is like the, is the users, right? Or the, the people that you're, uh, you know, co-creating with. It, it's an interesting thing that you're taking the lesson, right? It's like the, the technical community probably is on YouTube and listening to podcasts and not necessarily on Instagram or TikTok, you know, maybe, but maybe not. <laughs> no, you you got it right the first time. They're not there. <laughs> it's YouTube, it's podcast, it's LinkedIn. And those are the ones that I'm on heavy. We had a guest recently, uh Stephanie Wong, who is head of uh developer relations at Google Cloud. And one of the things that she does is a TikTok channel about technical careers. So um I haven't like installed the app or anything yet, but it's interesting because it challenged my thinking. I was like, well, you know, I don't use it, so nobody must use it. But then I was like, wait, no, there's an entire generation of people that's, you know, decades behind me, and they've grown up doing this for for entertainment. So why wouldn't they go and try to find a community for of professionals also there, right? So I don't know if it exists or not. Maybe Maybe we'll ask her. And uh, if if we get a positive reaction from her, then we'll let you know. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it definitely is a, a generational thing. I, mean, I think past a certain age, maybe TikTok isn't isn't your thing. But maybe if you're a Gen Z person, then it absolutely is. And I, I had the, the app on my phone because I mentioned I was doing videos every weekday for about six months. And they just, nothing was really coming of them. I even hired a uh, TikTok consultant and she said all these things that I needed to do to improve the videos and I just thought oh man this is a lot of work <laughs> I'll just stick to what I've been doing <laughs> yeah it sounded like it was draining your energy to think about it <laughs> yeah because with TikTok you gotta you gotta you have to have the right I guess the wording you gotta have the right the the lighting has to be a certain way the you have to hold the phone a certain way it's like there's a whole bunch of things that you need to do to, for it to be appealing to the type of people who look at TikTok videos because apparently all the videos are are similar in that way. And they a lot of times they use the very similar tools to make the videos look a certain way. 
And if you're not doing that, then I think it's way more difficult to build an audience. It's so funny that you say that because now that I think about it, it's always the same angle. It's kind of like looking up at the person, like the person's like looking down into their phone, recording it. And you can oftentimes see the ceiling behind them, which is like a, like in a filmmaking thing is like almost never done. Like if you're making movies, you tend to not see ceilings. Man, that is fascinating. Of course, there's consultants who will tell you how to make your TikTok videos. Oh, yeah. Be more TikTok. You can monetize anything, apparently. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are consultants for everything. If you were to give someone advice, Neil, on what it really takes to create your own course, whether it's something you deliver in person or virtual, what would you say to that person? I'd say do what I don't do what I did. <laughs> Learn from my mistakes. So I developed something without doing the proper market research as to whether this was something that people wanted. Luckily, it, it worked out okay, but don't do it that way. Do your market research first. Figure out whether this is something that people will want and want to pay for before you take the time to actually develop the product or service. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. We uh, come from these like technical backgrounds, and sometimes we miss out on like Entrepreneurship 101. Right. Or it feels like it doesn't necessarily apply to what we're doing. Like, hey, you know, do you have product market fit? Like, hey, what will the market pay for this? You know, all these kinds of like basic questions that I certainly don't have any expertise in. And it hurts my brain to have to contemplate thinking about it. We fortunately are not in that industry. Like, but, you know, we certainly have friends who are who have done that, right? Like they're developing courses and, and things like that based around, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. And it can be, you know, difficult. You need to find that community of, of people who are doing it uh, to, to help out to here's the consultants to avoid and here's the ones to hire. Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes back to your generalist specialist comment, John, because that determines the total addressable market for your, content is it highly specialized is it more general so maybe the total potential revenue for what you're making is really big or maybe it's a little smaller because it's highly specialized and you can charge more i don't know yeah yeah and that's uh yeah that's a really good point we need somebody from pricing and packaging on here <laughs> <laughs> sorry neil pricing hey pricing pricing is a, is a big deal and I was on a podcast not too long ago, actually earlier this week. It hasn't come out yet. I think it's supposed to come out earlier or later this month. And we were talking about how people buy and the differences in way in the ways that people buy. And there's there are differences based on based on demographics I found. And even just thinking about the way that I buy now, at least. And actually, you know what? Even if, if I was just using my own inclination, just just I would buy this way no matter what. It's I don't typically buy things until I decide that it's something that I need to have. So if someone were to contact me selling me, trying to sell me something, and I didn't think beforehand that I needed that thing, they're not going to convince me to buy it. I would have had to have thought that I needed it before they even contacted me. So I mentioned that I worked with a TikTok consultant. That's because I thought, let me try TikTok. So then I looked for a TikTok consultant. If a TikTok consultant had contacted me saying, you should be on TikTok, the answer like would have been, no, I'm not interested in TikTok. It had to be me that came up with the idea, I, I need to get on TikTok for me to actually look for somebody to help me on TikTok. 
And to develop the membership, you know, I mentioned I had a course and I decided to make it into a membership instead. I hired a consultant for that too. And that happened because I decided that was something I needed. It wasn't going to be something I saw on, on social media or just someone that someone else would tell me that this is something that you should do. It would have been something that I thought that I needed. And then I go out and seek that help. You mean you didn't buy that T-shirt that got recommended in Facebook when you were scrolling your feed? <laughs> I never even noticed those ads. <laughs> oh, man. Social engineering at its best. It's it's intense these days. I'm really fascinated in uh, this uh, journey that you've been on. You know, maybe uh, Nick and I will pick your brain later on about, you know, migrating the podcast onto YouTube. We're not on YouTube right now, so... You know, listeners don't know, but you have a backdrop with your uh, podcast logo. Which looks awesome, by the way. Yeah, it's really cool. Maybe maybe, maybe that's what we need, too. I think we do. I'm pretty low-tech when it comes to the YouTube channel. You certainly could ask questions. But I, I've seen other YouTube channels that put a lot more, I guess, work. Not that I'm saying I'm lazy, but I, I, I definitely put work into the YouTube channel doing the interviews. But I'm really keen on the conversations. That I have. I mean, I mentioned that I use Zoom and it's pretty easy to do using Zoom and just put those videos up there. And then I put captions to the various questions that I ask. So if people don't want to watch the whole video, they can just click on the, the time stamp for the particular question that I ask and they can go directly there. I started doing that maybe about a year ago. I think that's been really helpful and just, you know, people getting what exactly what they want out of the out of the video as opposed to watching the entire thing if they don't have the time to do it. Well, these are these are the things that I've I've picked up over time, seeing other other content creators, seeing what they do, thinking this is something that I I certainly have the time and am willing to put in the time to do, and it, that's what it all comes down to. Well, it's kind of a balance, I suppose, is what the audience wants and and what you're willing to do to provide what the audience wants. Because they're both important. Yeah. Well, we don't have a monetization strategy at all. So um, part of uh, the stress for us goes away. Well, I didn't have one either at first, but I developed <laughs> one. <laughs> I developed one eventually. So this, this only happened within the last year. I started becoming a lot more strategic with the guests that I invite onto the podcast. Although I will say that there are qu still quite a number of guests that I invite because I just want to talk to them because their stories seem interesting. But then there are others where I think if I were to talk to them, this is a potential collaboration opportunity. So when I mentioned that I started this membership, I eventually came up, came upon the idea of marketing it to engineering associations because I figured they already have the people, you know, thousands of members within these organizations. If they don't have something like this and their, and their, their members would find it of interest, well, why not I present that to the, the, the actual association? Especially when I started this, this was during the pandemic, where a lot of these organizations that used to have on-site conferences were all canceled. They all became virtual. And when they once they became virtual, a lot of the sponsors that they would have had at their on-site conferences weren't as keen as spo on sponsoring virtual conferences. So now the, these organizations are looking for other revenue streams. And that's where I come in. I say, well, you bring the people. I could bring this membership and we'll split the money. Good idea. Yeah, I thought so. That's the kind of entrepreneurial thinking that you develop over time, right? Yep. Certainly wasn't an idea that I came up with initially. And you mentioned the podcast was kind of a suggested offshoot from what you were already doing on YouTube, right? 
That's right. And how did you decide on like format, time length, things like that? My own stamina. So when it came to the actual interviews, I'm surprised that you all are willing to go this long. Although now that you explain to me why you do them is you're able to cut the interviews into into fractions or into sections. And so you, you don't have to do as many interviews or with people to have the same number of or to have as many episodes. I think that's actually rather smart. The way I do it is it's 30 minutes or less. So I definitely have to find more interviewees to have the same number of interviews that you all do. But that's cool, too, because it gives me the opportunity to meet more people and have more potential collaboration opportunities. I think um, limits are good. They they inspire you to work inside the limits. We've talked about that, about format and time. And, you know, I think the good news with YouTube is like, you know, you can get like pretty strong metrics of like, you know, exactly how long people watch. And like, like you said, uh, you know, oh, you add like chapters and people can like go to chapters. You, I assume, can get like some really good metrics on how well those are used, right? Like, like just immediate feedback. Even if it's like I put in the chapters and more people watched all the way through, you know, beginning to end because they knew they had the option of going to chapters. You can do a little A-B test that way. Man, Nick, maybe we need to join YouTube. Smash that like button. Smash Ring the, the subscribe bell. button. Yeah. That's right. I mean. Change notifications to all. Do you just need to talk to your producer and, and see what? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the other thing, you know, you know, it's either a backdrop, you know, or or we need to curate the room behind us to have like, you know, neon signs of abstract shapes. Those, I think that's the two options that I've seen, like kind of curated background rooms or backdrops. Or like each of us has a background that's half the logo and you place them together, you know? Yeah. 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 That's a good point too. Lots of ideas there. When I first had this thing made, I'm not even sure that virtual backgrounds was a thing. It was actually the person that I, that I hired that consultant, that sales and marketing consultant, the one I paid all that money to. She's the one that suggested that I get this thing built. And of all the the suggestions she gave me, I think this was the best one. You've used the the backdrop longer than eighteen months, right? Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Oh, that's too funny. Ah, we we learn. We do. Yeah, if you're doing it right. <laughs> well, listen, Neil. We want to thank you for your time and just tell you that it's been a fantastic conversation with you this evening. We really appreciate it. Uh, Where can people find you if they want to reach out, learn more, subscribe to your podcast? Sure. You can go to teachthegeek.com. And if you're looking for some public speaking tips, maybe this is something that you want to get better at, you can go to teachthegeek.com slash tips. Nice. We'll put a link to the uh, YouTube channel on as well. It's YouTube.com. Oh, yes. The, the link to the YouTube channel is YouTube.TeachTheGeek.com. Well, we'll make sure we have all the links in the show notes for people to come back and, you know, then go TikTok, for more show notes Instagram. to all the places to find you. Yeah, you can go to the TikTok channel if you want to. I haven't put a video up in there probably a year. <laughs> what you want to start looking for is people who are doing duets with your content. Right? That's That's how you know you've made it. Yeah, but don't ask me to dance. I ain't doing it. <laughs> awesome. Neil, thanks again for uh, joining us on the Nerd Journey. And uh, we're excited to see what happens next. And uh, we'll definitely have you back. Great. I'm excited to see what happens next, too. Thanks for having me. 
Nick, I can't help but think about the path that Neil took with doing a full YouTube channel, recording video and audio, and putting that out as his first step rather than just a podcast. It's also interesting to think that maybe YouTube has better metrics tracking than any given podcast app. Uh, what do you think? Should we uh, go straight straight for YouTube? We, we have plenty of uh, free time, right? Yeah, I mean... Sleep is really low priority for us right now, so sure. I have a six-month-old, so you you said an S-word, but I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, and I wasn't cursing either. <laughs> 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 because it really is all about the metrics. I mean, what did we say? We're, we're not going to stop podcasting until at least episode 1,000? Yeah, I think you did say that once. And a million downloads? Uh, just one. I thought it was 10 million downloads. But okay. Oh, well, okay. Maybe I'll edit this part out then. Maybe it's 10 million total hours listened. Mm, there you go. We're ambitious with our metrics. We, fortunately, we're not writing any of these down, so they're not actual goals. That's that's how goals work, by the way. <laughs> the other thing that, that I was really interested in hearing in Neil Thompson's journey was that path of outsourcing. You know, I mentioned it going into the episode, outsourcing is something that you just have to do because you don't have the skills to do all the things that you need done. But outsourcing is very similar to being a manager. You're hiring somebody to do a job, you're doing performance management, and then you're firing them if they're, they're just not doing what you need them to do. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag. If you're getting into the the business game, the small business game where you're you're owning your own business because you don't want to be a manager, then I think you might be disappointed. I feel like you just listened to episode 75, Vendor Management as Relatable Experience. Yeah. But that's a good one to go back to and listen listen for similar tones and themes. See if we hit some of the same things that Neil mentioned in this episode. Yes, exactly. Another thing that he said, a question that he asked, was should you enjoy all aspects of your job and is that a reasonable expectation to have? Again, in relationship to, you know, hiring vendors to do specific parts of the work that needed to be done. But it was a very profound question to ask, and I didn't take it as just about being an entrepreneur. I took it as something that, to ask about every aspect of our job. And I thought that led to an interesting conversation about, you know, things that take energy versus things that give you energy as parts of your job. So I couldn't think of it while we were recording with Neil, but I was actually referencing episode 173 with Evan Oldford about part of writing down your weaknesses is so that you can see and highlight the things that draw energy away from you so that maybe those tasks could be reallocated elsewhere, outsourced perhaps. Yeah, yeah. That actually reminds me of both parts of that Evan Oldford interview. That was 172 and 173, I think. Both mm -hmm. work. Uh, going back and listening to crossing domains with uh, writing and communication skills. I think I asked Neil about that in the episode and his answer, you know, was a very clear and resounding. Yes. Obviously these things definitely crossed over. It's something that I think maybe we need to do as individuals when we are assessing things that we can do in the future. Do we have skills that we've been working on for our job for, you know, passion projects that we can then turn around and apply to slightly different things that 
you know, we're interested in doing. And you don't always see the connection right away. Sometimes you need someone else to point it out. It actually takes me back to this theme of feedback that Neil mentioned. We've, we've discussed how feedback is a gift in the past, but he uses feedback that people have given him on products and services to make them better. And that's one of the reasons he started shipping out the podcast in addition to just the YouTube version. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I don't know that we've gotten any feedback, like any huge demand for us to do a YouTube channel. So I think that's why we haven't really pursued it to this point. I mean, maybe, you know, too many of the people who are listening know us and, you know, they just know that they don't want to watch us. They just want to hear us right. talk. Right. We have faces for radio. Right. That's what it is. It's very possible. I mean, I, sure. I don't know how I'd have to dress up this room in order to have a YouTube channel. It's uh, worth thinking about. Well, we need those backdrops like Neil had. I mean, I think we would. it's a requirement. But you know what? That's a different discussion for a different podcast, John. It makes me curious. But let's go back to the whole idea in the episode with Neil about curiosity breeding innovation. We can't snuff out curiosity in our kids or in others as they grow because we need them to be curious so they can make some of those cross-domain connections. Like, I wonder, would this work over here, or could I change it to this thing? That's how innovation happens. I, I loved that comment that Neil made, and it just rang really true. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, it made me think about how to raise my kid to not snuff out those questions, those annoying questions, quote-unquote annoying questions. You know, you want your kids to ask those questions so that they maintain that curiosity. But beyond that, how about people that are new to our organization? Do we encourage them to ask questions or do we make fun of them for not knowing something or knowing the context so that they feel bad about asking those questions and stop asking the questions and snuff out their curiosity and thus snuff out the innovation within the organization? Real, very real danger. We're both dads, so for all you dads out there, let's be a little more patient to indulge the curiosity in our kiddos. And for people that are new, just joining your company, try to remember what it was like to be new at that company and the things that you didn't know that you wish someone would have told you and be there to answer those questions for other people. Yeah, how you wish you were treated to feel more supported in that moment of being overwhelmed. Yeah. Or if you want to give people the career advice you wish you'd been given earlier, then you should be a guest on Nerd Journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's all we had for this episode, John. Anything else pop into your mind? Nope. Just a reminder again that we'd like people to subscribe and give us positive reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We are collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey and again looking for that feedback specifically on graph.nerd-journey.com. What do you think? And what are you searching for? Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore, not the Drive Time DJ. For John White at VJourneyman, signing off. Adios.